Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Yes, hallelujah. We are washed in the blood. White as snow. Praise the Lord. Okay, church, you can um, uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm number 37. Okay, praise the Lord. Psalm 37. I did share a testimony um, a few weeks ago on Zoom. Some may recall, in which I um, we had in our Bible study through the course of the year been studying Genesis chapter one through verse eleven, and that was really heavy, and that and you know uh, a lot to absorb and take in as we we tracked through that. And then as we had one a couple of weeks to spare, we concluded that before the Christmas break, um, I I said that we decided to do uh, I decided to do Psalm one, and just kind of go through that over the concluding week or two. And uh, when we went through it, to our surprise, it was a time in which people began to really share some of their deepest uh, uh, thoughts and feelings and experiences in their life. And, uh, and it resulted in being a wonderful blessing because uh, everyone was identifying with the human aspects that were associated with that. And it testifies to the fact that Psalms... Um, has that effect, doesn't it? The book of Psalms is written uh, as it uh, touches upon true human suffering, true human experience. And, um, and as a result of that, I kind of want to share something uh, this, this morning in a similar vein as we come to the Word of God. And I want to look at Psalm 37 and I want to track right through it. But again, we're going to identify with the human aspects and uh, because the book of Psalms is practical. The book of Psalms is real uh, in the sense that it is reflective of true human experience, true human expression, true human suffering. And so there's something unique about the Psalms as we read them and relate to them because uh, at various stages and experiences of our own lives as well. And so it was uh, one man, um, uh, back, uh, Sidlow Baxter, he said, here the suffering and sorrowing find a fellowship of sympathy which takes the bitterness out of their lives. And it's true because we can have some real experiences can be quite distasteful and uh, hard to digest and swallow and, and uh, can really affect the human soul. But yet when you come to the word of God, amen, it just kind of, and especially the Psalms, it just diffuses that and brings a release as we identify and find comfort and strength as we read the book of Psalms. And so I want to quote another person who I never thought I'd quote, <laughs> uh, but uh, he, he said it probably the best as I was searching through this, and that was John Calvin. When he said uh, concerning the book of Psalms, he says, I may truly call this book an anatomy of all parts of the soul, for no one can feel a movement of the spirit which is not reflected in this mirror. All the sorrows, troubles, fears, doubts, hopes, pains, perplexities, and stormy outbreaks by which the hearts of men are tossed have been depicted here to the very life. And how true that statement is, that, uh, that is uh, reflective of the book of Psalms itself. And so in this particular psalm that uh, we're going to look at in Psalm 37, just to give us a little bit of an overview as we'll go through it. But David is the author of this psalm, and he is reflecting upon the, um, uh, the inheritance or the heritage of those that are righteous in the Lord as compared to the ultimate destiny and destination and end of the wicked, because both coexist. 
We're living in the midst of these things. And so we are not immune from the effects of what goes on in the world around us. But as we live this life and as we track through it uh, as the Christian life, we are very much focused uh, on the word of God and understanding how all things are written according to the word of God. And so David is reflecting. He's reflecting upon the righteous as compared to and in contrast to the wicked. And the righteous has an inheritance. He has hope. He has promises. But the wicked, though he may prosper and though he thinks it's all working out, the Bible's clear in their end. And their end is destruction, according to the words of Christ. And so, again, we keep these things in perspective. And the Bible does that. And there's been a lot that's gone on this year, amen, in the world around us. And, uh, and um, I know uh, we can all relate in our own particular way to some of the challenges that we have faced, the trials and the tribulations and just the nature of uh, this particular year. And uh, I'm not just talking about COVID-19 as such, the coronavirus and all that is associated and the effects of that, but there's, uh, there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes now because, they, as they say, you can't let a good crisis go to waste. And so the world is moving and shifting at rapid speed. And there's a lot that's going on, and these things are touching us in various ways, and will continue to, and maybe, and for, for sure, in the future, in, in more uh, potent ways. And so it is important for us to take consideration of the Word of God this morning, and to keep things in perspective. And that's what the book of Psalm does. You see, the Bible's very clear on what the future holds. And yet, in, but we are in the world, and we are not immune from all that's going on around us. It will touch us. It will affect us. But we are rooted and grounded in the Word of God. And so I'm going to read. We'll read through it. I wasn't going to read the whole psalm, but I, I'm just going to read it, as, and then we're going to track through it. Uh, not every verse, but most verses we'll touch upon as we identify with what's going on. But let's read from verse number one. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, for he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret for it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, and it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just, and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword, and have bent their bow, to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of un uh, upright conduct. Their swords shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the, wicked, uh, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, and the Lord, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. In the days of famine they shall uh, be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous sows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. 
He's ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. I, indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright. For the future of that man is peace, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Amen. Now, there's, uh, I want to draw your attention firstly to the first words of that particular psalm where it says, do not fret. Do not fret. Now, remember, we are making the contrast between the wicked and the righteous as we go through this. And so uh, we're talking about this, if you, in, a, in a modern context, the saved and the unsaved, if you, if, if, if to make that distinction. But the word fret in this particular psalm, in the first eight verses, is used three times by David when he says, do not fret. That's how he, it's his opening statement. And then on, and, uh, and in a couple of others, let's read them actually. Verse 1, he says, Do not fret because of evildoers and don't be envious of the workers of iniquity. And then if you go down to verse 7, it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently. Do not fret because of him who prospers. So the, the wicked, don't, don't envy the wicked. Don't envy their prosperity and, and all that's going on around us. And in verse 8, it says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Don't fret. Now, in the first glance, according to the English language, if we look at the word fret, what automatically springs to your mind? What's that? Fear? Panic? <clears throat> That's right. Yeah, fear, panic, anxiety, worry, things of that sort, fretting. That's how we understand it in the, in the English language. But the Hebrew behind this is something a little subtly different. And in actual fact, the, um, uh, interestingly, the clue is found in verse 8 when it says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. And so the Hebrew is alluding more so to, uh, to anger, to being angry. Now, we know the Bible says be angry and don't sin, but there's a lot of things that go on around us and they trigger, they, they affect us um, and they try and um, uh, get a response from us. And sometimes if we're honest and I'm honest, it can. And uh, as we react to certain things around us, don't fret. The idea is not to get angry at those things that are happening around us. It only causes harm is what the scripture actually says. He said the word fret here means anger, zeal, passion, incensed. It comes from a Hebrew root word, which means to, to glow, to be melt and to burn, to show incite, incite, and to show or incite passion. And that's what we can be like. You know, I've been like that over the course of the year at various times. I think I've reacted in ways <laughs> and I can see a few people smiling because you've probably felt the same at various times when you listen and hear various things and there's a reaction, there's a prompting and react and it's like there's a sense of anger and that's, that's fret, we're fretting. So it's not the fear and the, the worry as such, but the, the that particular response that the psalmist and the word of God is, is uh, identifying. 
do not fret. And like I said, over the course of the year, there's been so many things that uh, have been going on that have wanted to provoke us to wrath in, uh, and uh, as uh, we've just observed various aspects. But you see, the word of God always brings things into perspective. God's word, as we hear these things, as we react sometimes to these things and, and, uh, and ponder these things, and then you come to the word of God. And you know what? It just calms everything down. Doesn't it? The word of God just brings things into context and into perspective. That's why David, uh, in, in verse 3, after making the statement, do not fret, his initial words to us is trust in the Lord. That's the contrast, just trust in God. And so trusting in God is what is being uh, expounded here. And I'm not going to go into the depths of it other than just to state it. But you can see here, trust in the Lord is this particular words that are being mentioned. Verse 3, trust, dwell in the land. Now, obviously, there's a context here that relates to the nation of Israel itself. But to us, dwelling in the land, also the promised land is, as we understand, uh, type of typologically is Christ so we're dwelling in Christ the inheritance and so so we can we can see the 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 various aspects that are associated so trust in the Lord dwell in the land feed on his faithfulness because you're not going to get nothing from you can feed off from this world it's just hopelessness And it says, verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So you have this word delight. Then in verse 5, you have the word commit. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now look at verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So in contrast to do not fret, You find an array of words in here that tell us how we should be conducting ourselves. And so we have those words, trust, feed on his faithfulness, commit, um, uh, be at rest, uh, uh, delight yourself. So these are all the different things that we must be characterized by in our relationship to God. This is the disposition, if you want to call it, of the righteous. And that's why we are told in verse 8, to wait. And, uh, sorry, um, um, did I say verse? Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Didn't I, uh, it's, it's, uh, verse seven. Sorry, that's why we're told in verse seven to wait. But we'll get back to that a little later. Now, let's move. You see, this the scripture is telling us that those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. Ah, verse 9, sorry. No, that's what I was looking for. But for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. There's the aspect of waiting. But, um, and again, inherit the earth, uh, uh, again, in, it has a spiritual component to it. But even for the Christian, we're talking, and for Israel and themselves, in uh, the Bible talks about the millennium. The, the Christ will return to the earth and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem the city of God, and, and so we're talking about the millennial reign. You know, Jehovah Witnesses, they like to quote Psalm 37, you know, the, the meek shall inherit the earth, and, you know, according to their doctrine, they're going to, you know, para- earth, paradise is uh, here on earth, and only the elect, they get to go to heaven, you know, and so we, the others, they stay forever, eternally on, on, this, uh, on the earth, or new heaven, new earth, whatever you want to call it, but nevertheless... That's not what the scripture is talking about. Now, in verse 10, for yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place and it shall be no more. And so again, we're getting a, a, a contrast in relation to the wicked. And in a little while, see the word is wait because there's a time that's coming. There is a time in which the scripture is very clear, in which the righteous judgment of God will come upon the earth because God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And so again, we're holding on to these things and we understand the context. Though they may appear to prosper, though they may appear to move uh, on, don't be envious, don't get caught up with them. 
keep a biblical perspective is what the scripture is telling us. Now, as we see in verse 11 again, but the meek shall inherit the earth, there's the same expression, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now, let's look at verse 12, because let us take note, and I'll say this before we look at verse 12, God sees everything. God knows everything that's going on around us and in the world around us. You see, look at verse 12, the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. Now, think about that. Now, this is something, obviously, that David is experiencing. And this is something that has always been experiencing, experienced when you contrast the righteous and the wicked. And even up until today, we see it going on around us in the world. But even down to Victoria, where we live, even in our own state government, we're seeing these things. And so we're seeing how the, 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 the wicked rulers are plotting against the church. I mean, um, we just passed laws in Victoria this week, uh, week or two weeks, whatever it was, a few weeks ago in relation to, you know, what they call gay conversion therapy. And so technically it's against the law for me to tell somebody who's a homosexual that it's sin and that they need to repent. And that I can't pray for them and, uh, pray, and, in lay, and in laying hands on them, counsel them and pray for them that they would be set free and that they would repent and be changed. It's against the law. And so the law now is targeting and plotting against the church. I mean, even in, in, in the public service, in, I think, again, whether it was this week or in the last few weeks, in the public service, the government uh, in, for the, uh, mandated that for, you know, for this particular week or two weeks or month, I'm not even sure uh, the details, but you're not allowed to use, uh, you know, all these gender pronouns. So you can't refer to people as he or she. In the office, amongst, the, amongst everyone, you have to refer to them or to they or find out what they want to be referred to as. And, you know, you've got to have all these gender-neutral expressions. You can't say husband or wife. That's banned. You're not allowed to use those words. And because now what are we dealing with? We're dealing with a spirit here that is targeting and hates God, that hates the ordination of marriage, that hates the creation of God, and hates God himself and the lords of God. And we, as uh, if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us. And so the church is right in that framework because you know what? We will never use that language. Never. Is that your wife? Is that your husband? Is that your partner? Forget that stuff. We will use biblical pronouns and we will use the biblical words. And I won't change that for nothing because I will obey God rather than man. And you say, well, uh, Pastor, aren't you being a bit? No, because we're not going to compromise the word of God to accommodate and appease them. And that means now if I go for a job and I I don't adjust to all those political correctness, that means I might not get a job. It means they might not, I know, you know. And so we're we're entering into uncharted territory. The wicked are plotting against the just. And it's happening right now before our eyes. I was, um, um, and again, I I mentioned this only in the context, I mean, I have my own thoughts, I'm sure you do, but I I share this because I'm thinking how the wicked thinks. You know, we have now the whole COVID and the whole issue of vaccination that's come to the fore. And I remember during the week, I was sitting in the car with Barbara and they're talking to this leading um, epidemiologist and, um, and he's talking about the, the vaccine and the interviewer says, well, what about those that don't want to be vaccinated? And you could sense his frustration with those type of people. And he says these words, and he says it sarcastically. He says, well, they're just going to have to go to heaven. And that's what he said. And I thought, and I was in the bed, uh, bed, I was in the uh, car with Barbara, and I said in the car, I said, Praise the Lord, amen. Bring it on. I can't wait to get to heaven. To die is gain. Like, get me out of here. Like, I mean, that's not an insult. That's a, a, I mean, but he was saying it insultively. 
But, um, but that's, that's the way it is. And the, the, the fact is, is they would rather us there than here. And uh, one day it will be so, praise the Lord. But this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with, as the scripture says, the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. They can't stand us because of the principles and the beliefs and we hold fast to the word of God. And it's the spirit of Antichrist that is manifesting itself through governments worldwide and locally and, to, and a, the spirit is at work as it, has, as it has been in the sons of disobedience, as the scripture says. And so they're seeking to destroy the biblical foundations and wickedness is marching on. They hate God, they hate Jesus, they hate the Christian values, they hate the church ultimately. But you see, I love verse 13. I've got to be honest. <laughs> it is a good one. And Colm prayed it this morning in his prayer, in the prayer room. The Lord laughs at him. You see, God has a sense of humor. And I love where, and there's two occasions in scripture where that is revealed. And the other section is in Psalm 2. We'll turn to that in just a moment. Because I want to just give you the picture here. Because the Lord, he, the Bible says, the Lord look, he observes this. He sees what's going on. See, we, we, we. That's why I said, don't fret. <laughs> what are you getting all uptight about? And that's what we're like. I was, there's a few times where I was a bit like that. I have to be honest with you. And then it's like, but then uh, the Bible says that God, as He sits in the heavens, He's not uh, nothing's taken Him by surprise. And the Scripture says that the Lord laughs at Him. Why? For He sees that His day is coming. You see, God has a day, and that day is coming. And the wicked will be judged. The wicked will be cast into uh, the lake of fire, as the scripture tells us. And so, again, we have to have a great perspective on what's going on. The Lord laughs at him. You see, go to, let's go to Psalm 2, if you can turn there with me, because I think it's important that we, we look at this. And this is a messianic psalm about the Messiah. But let's read it. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So this is what happens in the world around us. Now look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. But God sits in the heavens and he says, man really thinks he's in control. Man really thinks that he's got it all sorted, that he's got his plan. They're conniving against me. They're, 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 they're trying to move it out. And, they, and God, God just looks at this and he laughs because it's what the scripture says. He laughs. The Lord shall hold them in derision and he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And this is Christ. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. You see, the kings of the earth, they came together and they were to try and, and thought the purposes of God in the coming of the Messiah in the first instance. And yet it still happened just as the scriptures foretold. Herod could have killed as many babies as he's wanted and all the sufferings that were going on around. But the Lord's will stand. The Lord's will stands and his prophetic word uh, uh, will not be deviated and the Lord's will will be done. And this is why, this is our confidence. We are to look at this. That's why the Lord laughs. And maybe rather than fret, maybe we can just smile sometimes at some of the things that we observe around us because man really thinks that he's in control. Man really thinks that he's sorting it all out. And all we're doing is we're just racing towards uh, the ultimate destination because well, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. 
Because God in heaven, he will respond and man will never ever triumph. And God, at the moment he thinks he's got it, God's going to just pull the whole thing apart in an instant. Sudden destruction. COVID's nothing. Is it? You know, look at the, the fear that the COVID is creating in people. Really, it's so, it, when you look at the context, it, in the greater picture of things, this is nothing compared to what's coming. When God pours out his wrath and his judgment in the time of the great tribulation and that which is, is to come prophetically, you read it. We're talking about severe human suffering. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Let's go back to verse 16 of Psalm 37. The Bible says, A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. Or as Paul would say, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so, you know what? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Naked you come in, naked you go out. Uh, I'm not saying it's, uh, that you, God can't bless you and you can be prosperous. That can happen. God bless you. But make sure that you have things in perspective. Make sure that we're not fretting. Make sure you're not envying the wicked. I want a piece of that pie. And so, you know, because the heart can be, <coughs> excuse me, um, moved in certain directions. And so our heart has needs to be grounded in the word of God this morning. And that's why the, the psalmist would say, a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. And then you have verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. Mark those words. Their inheritance shall be forever. When we enter into the fullness of our inheritance, it is eternal forever. What man has is fleeting fantasy. Verse 22. The Bible says, For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. That's the statement. It's as simple as that. It's as black and white. The righteous shall be blessed and the cursed shall be cut off. And so I want to look a bit further here. Because our confidence, church, is in God. And the next few verses that we want to consider, they give us the reassurances that we need, regardless of any circumstance that we find ourselves in. And so the scripture speaks explicitly to us and, uh, um, and gives us the, those reassurances. So let's look at verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Now, this is important. The, the, the steps of a good man are ordered or established by the Lord. And so this is a confidence that we have to have. This is the reassurances that we have from the Lord. Like, what do we do? What do I need to do? Well, you know what? If we are seeking God, if we are drawing near to God in, as we should be as Christians and especially as we see the day approaching and all that we've, uh, things that we endure, if, we, if our heart is to seek God, then my confidence is this, though I may not know, God knows. And the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, trust in the Lord. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your steps. And so this is the confidence. This is the reassurance that we have, that as, uh, as I acknowledge him, as I pray, as I commit my way to the Lord, then I know that God is in control. Though I may not see what is ahead, uh, but his word is a lamp to my feet, the Bible says. A light to my path, but a lamp to my feet. Sometimes it's just the next step that I know what to take, but I don't know exactly where I'm going. But the Lord's ordering them. The Lord establishes them. I know that because that's his promise. That's what the word tells me. That's the confidence and reassurance that I have. So I will trust. That's the key word. No need to fret. Just trust. So we have... 
It says here in verse um, 24, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Now think about that because again, we're not immune to things that go on around us. Though he fall, there are things that can cause us to stumble. There are things that can cause us grief. There are things that can happen and do happen in life. Though he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down, is what the scripture says. And as I was, again, just pondering that, I can't help but think of Paul the Apostle and his words. And he wrote uh, as part of uh, uh, um, uh, the ministry in which the Lord had called him to as he went forth in his missionary journeys, preaching the gospel of Christ. And he suffered persecution. And Jesus even said to him, I will show you how many things you must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul writes and recounts some of his testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he says these words in verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. You see, the Christian can fall, but he will not be cast down. Because, amen, the Lord is on our side. And it doesn't matter what happens to us physically, what this happens to us in this world, which we are not immune of. There are things that could happen to us in this various life. But at the end of the day, they do not destroy us. They do not cast us down. Though we may fall, the Lord will not allow us to be cast down because the scripture says he upholds him with his hand. Because you know what? We're in the Father's hands. And God, the scripture says, is, is, is taking care of us. If God is for us, who can be against us? You read Romans 8 and you have the whole story of there of everything that can come our way in terms of suffering for the cause of the gospel of Christ. But yet we are unconquered. We are, the Bible says, more than conquerors. Rather, rather than being conquered, we are more than conquerors. In spite of anything that goes on before us, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us because we're in his hands. There's our confidence. There's our reassurance. And so we have verse 25. David says these words, I have, and this is David now reflecting after he's lived a few years. He says, I've been young and now old. Yet I've never or I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. This is a testimony of God's faithfulness, church. And uh, this is what the scripture tells us. David says, I have been young, but I'm old now. And anyone who served the Lord over the longevity of time who has been young and is old now will testify and say, the Lord looks after his own. Hallelujah. The Lord will provide. Amen. And, you know, uh, we see in the book of Acts, we see various uh, aspects of human suffering and need. And the Bible says that the church they gave, they sold land and they distributed amongst any that had need. And they would send aid together, the churches to Jerusalem in the midst of what was going on and uh, the famine and so forth, because the Lord has his ways of providing. And so, again, this is not socialism uh, that is enforced. This is socialism that is born from the heart of men. You know, people talk about, well, we're capitalist socialists. You know, we'll read the book of Acts, socialism. Yeah, but you can't enforce socialism. You see, once you enforce it and it's not from the heart, then it's, uh, it's a wicked system. But when it comes from the heart and everyone is free to do as they want with what they have, then you find its expression. And we all take care of one another. And no one lacked. You see, this is what the scripture teaches us. Okay. I have been young and now old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Never. And we know this is the promise. The Bible tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Never. Jesus has made it clear. Lo, I am with you unto the end of the age. And this is the assurance and the confidence that we have. Now, the rest of the psalm 
deals with our conduct or how we should conduct ourselves as Christians in light of these realities. So let's look at verse 30. The Bible says the mouth of the wicked, sorry, the wicked, the mouth of the righteous, verse 30, the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom. And how true it is, because in light of what we're touching upon, it affects the way we think, and now it affects the way we speak. So we don't speak, oh, my gosh, we're all going to die. We don't speak, uh, but you know, in fear. We don't speak in uh, born out of anger and anxiety at everything that's going on around us. Although we all have our opinions, and I have too, and you sure have yours in relation to certain things. But our disposition, the Bible says, is the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom because we can speak into a situation and a circumstance from the eternal perspective. We can speak into a situation concerning the word of God and we can apply it to the immediate situation that is before us. And so the Christian, the righteous, speaks wisdom. And his tongue talks of justice, verse 30, it says. Now, again, we're seeing how we ought to conduct ourselves. Verse 31, the law of his God is in his heart. And again, we have the word of God. We're speaking of the word. We're conducting ourselves in this manner. In verse 34, look at what it says. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. So again, we're keeping the ways of the Lord. We are faithful to him to keep his word. And this is how we speak and we act in light of these things and in light of whatever's going on in the world around us. But the key word here is wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. You see, wait is a common thing throughout the scriptures, isn't it? Something that doesn't come natural to human nature. Something that doesn't come natural to this generation. This instant generation, you know. It's like, got to have it, got to have it now. Just put it on afterpay. <laughs> because you know what that's the way that, that we've been conditioned now if you've got to have something you've got to have it now and so but yet the bible tells us that we the, the righteous one of the characteristics is that he knows how to wait upon the lord to be patient it's like when we see these things going on around us, and it's right to say that. We say, come, Lord Jesus, but we are also, we are waiting. We are waiting patiently. And so the scripture is exhorting us to wait on the Lord. Jesus himself said, by your patience, you will possess your souls. By your patience, by our ability to wait, to just wait on God, to be patient, to endure this is a key characteristic and theme throughout the scriptures. This is what we are exhorted to over and over. James, in his particular epistle, in dealing with various issues, he writes at the conclusion of his epistle in James chapter 5, and he says in verse 7, he says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So what's James' exhortation? Wait. Wait. <clears throat> Man, that comes against the human heart. Like, Lord, come now. Like, like now would be really good. But James is saying to the church, but they are to observe how the farmer, a farmer who is dependent upon uh, God ultimately, but at least in, in, the, in the natural sense upon the, the natural elements, he has to wait. He plants the seed. He doesn't know if it's going to be drought. He doesn't know if the rains are coming. He doesn't know if, if it's, the crop's going to be destroyed. He's so dependent upon, in this instance, the forces of nature. But we understand also God and the factor of God's blessing that's associated with this. But the farmer has to wait. And so James is using that analogy. 
of and applying it to the Christian that we too, we have to wait. We have to wait, establish your hearts and be patient until the coming of the Lord. You see, look at verse 37 and verse 38 of, the, of, of uh, Psalm 37. It says, mark the blameless man and observe the upright for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressions shall be destroyed together and the future of the wicked shall be cut off. You see, again, this is just reiterating these things. In verse 39, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength. He is their strength. See, God is our strength this morning. In the midst of weakness, in the midst of vulnerability, in the midst of trouble, whatever it is that comes our way, the Lord is our strength. And so as we, this is the whole point of waiting upon God. It's, we wait, but we don't wait in, in um, fear. We don't wait in, in anxiety. We don't wait in cowering like, how long do I have to wait? Like we're not, that's not the disposition. The disposition of waiting is being patient, possess your souls through your patience and be strong in the Lord because he is our strength. And in actual fact, the disposition of those who wait is revealed to us in Scripture because the Bible says uh, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, listen to these words. Listen to these words. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fail. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You see, the Christian who waits upon God goes from strength to strength. Not, okay, I'm, I'm holding on, but I'm getting weaker and weaker and weaker. No, it's the complete opposite. I'm waiting and I'm getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I'm being, because the Lord is my strength. He, uh, the scripture says, he is their strength in the time of trouble. And so the Lord strengthens us. And as we wait, we are strengthened in him. And so this is why <coughs> the psalmist concludes with his final thoughts and final words in verse 40. And he says, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Oh, praise the Lord. We, we win. We, we don't have to, don't fret. Because ultimately we will be saved. That's what the scripture says. Why? Now listen to these final words. Because they trust in him. Because they trust in him. Trust is simply faith. Faith is trusting God. And the Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. And the Bible says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, our faith goes, it, it, it gets stronger and develops. And so it increases in strength because our faith becomes not weaker, but stronger in the Lord. And that's, the, that's, that's how the Christian is to have his disposition. And that's why we, as we walk through this life, this is how we are trusting the Lord. And so it doesn't matter how bad, the darker it gets, the more light there is in here, amen? The more that I'm strengthened. And though outwardly it may all equal despair and must, it looks horrible and it's, it's evil and it's wicked and in which it is, but internally, it's always a completely different story. And as we wait upon the Lord, we renew our strength because we are trusting in God. 
And that's what David concludes his psalm. He says, trust in the Lord. Begins it, says, do not fret. And concludes it with trust in the Lord. And this is the challenge for all of us. You know, I'm not standing up here and saying, yeah, this is what you need to do. This is what I need to do. <laughs> this is what you need to do. Because we all can identify with the human elements of what David's talking about. That's what I was trying to say at the beginning. We can read this and we all relate to it. But then we must apply it. We must learn the lessons from it. We must take on board that what the scripture is telling us in the midst of the reality of my circumstance. You can talk about your circumstance. We can talk about these things, but we don't live there. Amen. We live in the Lord and we always conclude uh, uh, um, with the words, um, uh, God always causes us to triumph. And so I want to exhort us this morning to trust God. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And as David would say, he uses those words. He says, trust in the Lord. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Dwell in the land and rest in the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. We thank you, Lord, that your word is so true, so real. And God, we understand the human dimension that we live in. But Lord, we understand that we are spiritual people, Lord. And that your, your word, your spirit is life. And as we, God, align ourselves to the word of God, Lord, surely there is hope. Surely we are strengthened. Surely it puts all things in perspective. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Lord God, we trust in you. Our eyes are fixed and focused upon you. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in the leaders of, that are around us, though we are called to pray for them. Our hope is in you, Lord. And we trust in you. Oh, we bless your holy name. Amen. God bless you all this morning.